0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by associate editorial page editor and columnist, Nancy Prayer Johnson. Welcome to the show, Nancy. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Louise. I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. It's good to have you on the show. Um, Recently, we had uh, Brandon Lingo on the show, and we kind of discussed finding your voice because he's new to the the editorial board. We discussed Mm -hmm. like finding your voice and how to know like what your opinions are on things. So that's kind of where I wanted to start off today. I have a few uh, columns that I want to discuss with you, but before that, I wanted to kind of get your background and and your time so far on the editorial board.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I'm excited to be here today with you, and I appreciate the time and effort you put into this. Uh, I joined the editorial board in February, so I'm pretty new as well. Um, I am just blessed to be able to be on the board and um, and be able to. Be part of this team. Um, we have a really strong team and, you know, it's been a journey for me. Uh, I am returning back to journalism. Uh, most recently I was a teacher. And so, I was teaching um, in this last job that I had, I was teaching yearbook and journalism to junior high students in the schertz Cibolo School District. Uh, before that, I did some marketing and public relations type jobs for a little bit, but that was just after being a journalist. So, I'm returning back to journalism. Uh, this is really different, right? So, like Brandon shared with you, uh, you know, opinion writing and being on the editorial Board still shares the tenets and the foundations of journalism, right? We still report and we seek the facts and we interview people and we research and we are constantly on top of um, everything that's going on, even more so than when I was a reporter. Um, Back when I was a reporter, I covered uh, one beat, right? So I covered, well, I actually had two different beats during my time as a reporter at the Express News. I covered like basically social will. Welfare, where I wrote about homelessness, poverty, foster care, child abuse, all of those types of stories. Um, and then later, I covered education. So at that point, all I had to do was, you know, really focus on those stories. Um, but now on the editorial board, we focus on everything, right? And so, uh, you know, the writing and the reporting that happened in the Express News, we, co- you know, we keep up with that and it really informs our opinions. Um, but we also just try to just keep tabs on everything happening. And so um, it's been a journey for me, you know, and just like, you know, Brandon said as well, um, it's really different to uh, share your opinions because as a journalist, you are you have to keep your opinions out of your work. <laughs> and now uh, we have to have opinions, right? And we still have to back those up with with facts. And so um, it's been a journey and just you know learning how to do that and finding my own voice um, because of so so many years of having to quiet that voice down, right and not share it. Um, when I was a journalist and also when I was a teacher, right? Because even as a teacher, you're told um, by different administration, and I've worked for a few school districts in the area, um, you know, over my years of being a teacher, but... You know, they're told, you're told, you know, don't even share your opinions on social media and, uh, you know, really try to stay like, you know, non political um, because, you know, you don't want to, and it's understandable, right? Because you don't want to alienate parents and students and stuff like that. You want to remain neutral. Um, but again, I'm really excited to be on the board. I feel like I've been here for a long time, um, and it's only been since February. Uh, and just happy to keep growing and and covering the um, you know the stories that we share and the opinions that we share.
0: And that's um. Thank you for letting me all that know all that stuff. I in listening to you, I just kind of had one more question about the editorial board in general. And this is coming from a place where, like, even though I'm in the industry, and I know that it's separate from the newsroom. I typically deal more with the newsroom than the, the editorial board. I, I, my one question is, what does collaboration look like on the editorial board when you're putting together something like the um, the TEA and the South San uh, story?
1: Collaboration with the newsroom?
0: Collaboration with the newsroom and with uh, other editorial board members. Or if, if, uh, yeah, just collaboration in general.
1: Mhm. So, you know, the the reporting that happens at the Express News by the reporters is excellent. They do a dynamic job of covering the issues and making sure that the reporting is is as accurate um as can be and that they're really trying to stay on top of everything happening on their beats. Um so that helps inform our reporting, but we also really just try our best to keep um to keep on, you know, we look social media plays a big part in, in what we cover and what we see and how we keep up with things. Um, so as far as collaboration, you know, sometimes we may ask a, a reporter a question or sometimes they you know may ask us like, hey, you have somebody's phone number, or email address, you know stuff like that. But other than that, you know there's no collaboration as far as the opinions that are set. you know the reporters, you know, just like how I was a reporter in the past, They cover the news, they write it, you know, they report it and they write it and it's published, right? Mm -hmm. Um, On the opinion side, we also do reporting and research and some interviews. Um, But when we write it, we don't, you know, there is no collaboration with the newsroom at all as far as, you know, what opinions should we have. Um, The opinions belong to us Mm -hmm. as the editorial board and as columnists. As far as collaboration with, um, as far as collaboration with the board, you know, on editorials, we are, you know, we collaborate as far as the direction we're going to go. Uh, we collaborate as far as, you know, what are the, what are the maintenance of, you know, what we want to express and, and why. And, uh, and then in the editing process as well. And so we want to make sure that we're unified and whether, you know, s- We're different people, right? And we're, and that's one thing I'm really proud of with our board and, you know, with Hearst and and with the Express News is that we're a very diverse board. And, you know, I write a lot about diversity as well. um, And it's really important. And so, you know, sometimes we get to certain issues that happen and and that we cover and we may not agree on everything. And that's okay. And that's important that we don't because we want to be representative of of the community. Um, But, when it comes to editorials, we have to decide, right? And so we talk it out uh, and we decide and, and we write it. And um, on columns, however, those are our personal views, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have full autonomy in our personal columns um, on topics, on um, opinions that we have, and you know how it's written. Um, and it's just it says a lot of our newspaper that they give us that autonomy autonomy, um, and that they really let us have that personal opinion um, without any really outside kind of influence or even the influence of the rest of the editorial board members.
0: Well, that's that's really good to know. It's something that even I didn't know uh, to what extent it, it really meant to be a member of the editorial board. And uh, so I think I'm ready to move on to an editorial, specifically the, the one on South Sand being in a spiral. Can you just give me a brief overview of that story and... And w- w- really, what's going on at, on uh, in South San?
1: You know, when I used to work for the for the Express News back, um, you know, I left in two thousand nine, right? And so the last beat that I covered for the Express News was um, the education beat, and uh, one of the districts that I had to cover was South San. There, I just remember having to go to those meetings and being up there at all hours of the night. <laughs> And I remember it being just really volatile, right? And I remember getting these late night phone calls from, you know, people in the community and from even board members. And I just remember it just being just, you know, a mess, right? I mean, chaotic and just not what you would picture a school board being. Mm -hmm. It's the same, you know, um, it's, it's the same and it, it's sad, right? And so some of us laugh at it and, you know, it's just kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, South San, you know, and everybody knows. But when you really think about it, like all of those years, you know, of that chaos that's happening there and just all of the political just craziness that happens and it's still happening. You know, it's, you think about the generations of students that it's, it's affecting in the community, you know, schools are hubs for the community. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, we learn that and we understand that. And when, you know, the school board can't even come to consensus and, and be unified and, um, you know, it, it affects, you know, what should they be doing instead of arguing, right? And so, recently, um, I have to say it had kind of missed my own radar a little bit because we've just been so busy covering um, all kinds of other stories, um, but our education team at the Express News, you know, they were... Doing a really great job at, at reporting about this, so I went and I went over to YouTube and I started watching um, some school board meetings, and I mean, they last hours, right? And so I'll just be, you know, watching mm-hmm. them. And I was just, I was, I I can't say that I was shocked, right, at the chaos, but I was disappointed, right? And so the chaos at South Sand, you know, they're, they're, you know, accusing each other of different things. They go into, they go into closed session and they duke it out there and then they come back and some people are trying to, you know, there's two board members in particular, who are really trying to, um, you know, support the superintendent and, um, and then the, and they're saying that the other board members are basically attacking the superintendent and they won't say exactly what it is, but we all know it has to do with, um, you know, the football coach, you know, um, who was put on on administrative leave, um, and it you know has something to do with. Um, the COVID, you know, COVID nineteen, and so you know, our sports reporter wrote about that, you know, and so we know it's all connected, but they can't say it in the public meeting. But then they come out of closed sections, um closed session, and then they're talking about it, right? And it's just like you know, all these accusations, just wild stuff, you know, like oh, they're dropping F bombs and they're threatening and they're this and they're that, and then an employee is is an, an employee is um, basically alleging and you have, they're not saying what the allegations are, but then you can see on the budget on the, um, on the agenda, what they're basically alleging, um, Without the details, and then they're just saying that they are, you know, appalled with each other. And it's like, okay, you know, it's what kind of example is setting for students, and what message is it sending to the community? And, you know, what can TEA do, right? Because TEA has stepped in before a lot of times. I don't know how many times, but it's a lot. And, um, you know, what can they possibly do in, in this kind of situation? Um,
0: is it really up to the community to elect new board members? Is that what ultimately comes down to?
1: But they have, you know, like there's some people who are new on there. Um, Connie Prado has been there for 22 years, though. And, and you know, um, she has a reputation of, you know, really not bringing a united front and a reputation of doing certain things. Um, just negative reputation. But she's been there 22 years. The others are pretty new. Right, and so yes, it's it's the community that you know needs to vote in a different way and needs to hold them accountable. Um, you know they need to pay attention to these meetings. Anybody can watch them at any time. You know, so yes, we're writing about them. Yes, the Express News reporters are writing about them. But to watch the school board member um school board members, you know, duke it out (laughs) on YouTube is really a different experience. And um, it's just something, you know, we do our best to put it in words and explain it right and Mm -hmm. put our opinion in there. But when you watch those meetings yourself, you really understand just you know, forget who's right and who's wrong, but my God, I mean, nobody can, nobody can dispute that that school board is not getting things done. Right. Because there's just too much chaos happening.
0: And, uh, ultimately I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's really affecting generations of students and affecting the community. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings me to my next opinion article that I wanted to talk to you about, about the star test and how, you know, anyone who you mentioned in the article, anyone who passed the star should feel proud, but those who didn't pass the star shouldn't blame themselves. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Sure.
1: I mean, the STAR test is something that, you know, um, state representatives and senators, you know, they always say that the STAR test is something that parents and students and teachers, um, they speak out about the most. Right. And so even before COVID and, and, you know, from the beginning of STAR, you know, they... People, people either you know think that star is necessary uh, to gauge how students are doing and how teachers are teaching, right? Or they hate it and they see it is as this disproportionate, inequitable um, gauge that is unfair to students and to the teachers who are teaching them. When you look at the numbers, they're disproportionate. You know, when you look at, and this is even before COVID, it's disproportionate to um, to Latinos, to people of color, to black students. They always tend to do worse than than white students. And so they say, you know, is this really fair? You know, there's been some questions about um, the way that the the questions are worded, right? And about the level it's at. Um, and also, of course, the cost of the star test, right? And so, with COVID, uh, of course, all of that got magnified, right? And so... Yes. If students passed it, um, that means that, you know, they were able, yes, they should be proud of it. They should celebrate that. Um, They were able to still stay at that level they needed to be, right? But if they didn't pass it, I mean, you know, (laughs) this was, and we've been, what, we're in a year and a half into COVID here. It has been extremely difficult on students and teachers. You know, I was a teacher during that as well. I would also teach and I've always taught, even though I taught journalism and, and yearbook to students, I always taught some English and some reading intervention and summer school, you know. And so, these students who fail, um, they tend to just give up. You know, and, and I've written about that in some columns as well. And it's just like, well, they give up because they're just, they get so used to failing. And, and once they, then they go to take the test and they have already decided in their head and in their heart, Hey, I'm going to fail this test.
0: I think one of the, one of the things that really stuck out from the, from that piece was how many of you expected to fail and they all stood. And then you go into how you fight back tears and the lump in your throat to give them like a pep talk.
1: Yeah, because you can teach all the strategies in the world, right? You can look at you can look at the data and see, okay, well, you know, this many students out of this class um, failed um, this part of the of the star test, and let's go over those. You give them the strategies, and and that's what you're there for. You need to teach, and yeah, you are teaching to the test. You're making sure that they understand those those concepts and that they're ready for it, but. If their brain and their hearts are not open to that and they've already decided they failed it and they don't believe in themselves, then, uh, well, none of those lessons are going to get heard, you know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these students, you know, when I was teaching summer school, and this is not – You know, it's not just in one district. I taught at a few different districts. I taught at a charter school. I taught on the southeast side. I taught in Shirt Cibolo. So I had like basically this tour of, (laughs) of being a teacher in various districts with different demographics, right? I taught in East Central. Um, so when I was teaching there, you know, I, I came into contact with, you know, and I was a teacher for different students with all these different kinds of homes and backgrounds and, and needs, right. And challenges. Um, but in every school district, there are always students who struggle and there are always students who fail that STAR test and they are all very similar, you know, and when you get down to it, these are students who have struggled from the beginning, You know, like they started struggling and getting behind when they were young and they just could not catch up. Now, you know... school districts are really um, beginning to look at the root causes of you know why students are not successful and they're really trying to get those students caught up especially now during covid but they've they've always tried to do that you know and I think the the biggest issue is just not giving up on those students and making sure that they don't fall through the cracks you know because it's not their fault and that was my point of writing that is like you know I was seeing i was seeing Parents online, you know, talking about how their kids were really upset that they um, that they that they had failed the star, right? Mm -hmm. And some of them, they were actually failing the star for the first time right some of them had never failed before and all of a sudden they were part of this this group this cohort of kids who had failed and they're like oh wait <laughs> but hello we had covid you know this the school districts and the world was trying to figure out what's happening with covid and and you know am i going to go to school in person or is it online
0: that really i mean that that kind of underscores Uh, A lot of the troubles that the schools were going through, teachers were going through. And it really brings me to the the last um, op-ed you wrote about how it's more critical than ever to back teachers. And you wrote that just before, I believe, some school districts went back to school and not back in August. Uh, You want to talk a little bit about that and how this school district we really need to. you, You mentioned just backing teachers.
1: Sure. Yeah, I wrote that in about August, like mid-August, right before most of the school districts were going to go back. And it was just something tugging on my, you know, on my heart to write about that because, you know... The parents, um, of course, rightfully, understandably, they were very concerned about the students, right? And so, these school board meetings, again, something else that I watched (laughs) for hours and hours, Um, you know, these parents at these school board meetings, and they were talking about safety for their kids and either, yes, wear the mask or no, don't wear the mask, you know, rights and all these things... About vaccines and everything else. But I was noticing that teachers really weren't being talked about as much at a lot of these meetings. Um, Well, teachers don't have a choice, right? And so, I remember as a teacher being really scared, you know, like, and I remember <laughs> getting, um, you know, buying on my own, you know, out of our own home budget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our own like Clorox wipes and um, hand sanitizer and all kinds of things for all my 180 something students um, because they didn't like the hand sanitizer that the school district gave them. <laughs> you know, it was cheap and it felt nasty and smell gross. They're like, we're not going to use it. And I don't, you know, I don't blame them. And, you know, just trying to be a safe as possible. And just being really afraid of, you know, and I got so many COVID tests. Um, I got quite a few because every time I struggle with allergy problems, so every time um, I had a sniffle or a cough, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have it now. So, I would go and get checked and they say, nope. And, you know, I'd be really grateful, but that wasn't the case with some teachers. You know, there were quite a few getting COVID. um, And it's, it's just a scary time. But aside from health and aside from the, that scary time, you know, teachers really deal a lot with the emotion of this and they have to be the support for students, right? And so, even though like, you know, when I was a teacher and I speak for, for teachers that I know and, and what I see out there, um, even though you're afraid, you don't act like that in front of students. and You don't talk about it. You put on that smile, even if it's under a mask. <laughs> you, um, you are Um, you have a positive, optimistic attitude, you are happy to see them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even though you may feel like, well, teaching at home um, from my computer where I'm not exposed to COVID every day is more safe, you also understand kids, you know, students of all ages and backgrounds, they learn best In classrooms. And so that's the hard thing about this, right? It's like we know that um, we're safer when we're not around each other, right? Because it's so easy to spread COVID. And you really, I mean, you don't know who has it and who has it. Um, And, you know, some have symptoms, some do not. But at the same time, you also know these students, they need to learn. That's the best way they can learn. They. It's very difficult to learn at home. It's hard for them to manage the workload and to stay on top of it, you know, for all ages. And even some of the very best students struggled with it. You know, I had students who had all A's um, before COVID. And then once COVID hit and we went to online, they wouldn't do any work. <laughs> they wouldn't do, you know, and I'd be like, Hey, what's, you know, what's going on, you know, and I would reach Ooh. out to them and they just say, it's just too hard to keep on top of everything and to manage it. You know, no,
0: I completely understand that. And, yeah. um, well, Nancy, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to discuss all this with me. Uh, uh, I hope to have you on again. This was, this was fun.
1: Sure. Thank you, Luis. I appreciate it.